you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Whenever... Um... This, this week, um, the team was asking me, kind of, well, yeah, this is kind of the order that we're thinking. Like, what do you think about where to put these different things? And, and I always just say, well, whatever you think is best is probably best. <laughs> um, and it was, it was just perfect, you know. And that song, uh, Pressing On, really could have been anywhere in the service. We should probably just sing it every Sunday five times and then go home. Because we're in the middle of a season where God is teaching us what it means to press on together, uh, and God is good and faithful in the middle of that, amen? Amen. So today uh, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 1 through, uh, through 13. <clears throat> uh, we're continuing in our, our series on, on the test, what it means to face uh, tests, um, trials, uh, and, and temptations and struggles. And as I was pulling this uh, sermon series together, I tried so hard uh, to think of a more clever way to talk about these last kind of tests than tests of temptation, because it just sounds so bad. But uh, there's nothing better. So we talked about uh, tests of fire. Uh, tests of fire is a lot like what we're going through right now, where things are difficult and challenging. Or maybe if you've gone through something um, a significant loss in your life, or a difficult season at work, or like I said, right now, we're all going through a, kind of a test of fire. And in the Bible, when people go through tests like this, oftentimes the only thing that they're called to do in this moment is to get to the end of it. <laughs> um, there's not, uh, you know, some amazing goal that needs to be accomplished. There's not um, some, like, fantastic sacrifice that needs to be made. Often it's... Um, it's the sacrifice of just remaining uh, faithful to God in the middle of it, right? So we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who uh, did everything they could to, to cooperate in the place that God had put them, to bless the people that God had placed in front of them, uh, but they wound up facing a fiery furnace um, uh, or, or to, deny, uh, to deny God. And so for them, they didn't have to make a big speech. They didn't have to do anything special uh, for them, the test, the test of fire, was just, <laughs> just to hold on. Uh, most of the New Testament letters are about this. Um, it's whoever's writing them saying, I know it's difficult, don't quit. Don't quit, press on, uh, press on. And so uh, and when we go through tests of fire, often we find that on the other side, we've met God in them, that God has done something uh, to us um, and, and made us different for having survived the test, like when, when James uh, talks about um, rejoicing uh, when you face trials of many kinds because trials uh, produce perseverance. Trials are the way that God um, refines us into who we are, and the image in Scripture is, is that, right? It's refining, uh, like burning away kind of the dross from the, the pure metal, and we come out stronger. We meet God in the flame. So that's testifier. Last week we talked about tests of water. Uh, these are opportunities where God might be calling us to go somewhere, to do something, to be faithful in some new way, um, but he's not going to force us to cross the river, right? Uh, we talked about the Israelites standing uh, to, on the southern, the southern border of the land that God had promised them, how God invited them to come into that land uh, and receive all this blessing, but for, for lots of reasons, they, were, they just couldn't do it. They were too 
scared to cross that border. The cost was too great. The pain ahead looked like too much, and so they, they stayed. And God allows us uh, to not take the good things that he's offering for us. And we talked about that, how, how sometimes um, uh, God is going to offer us things. He's calling us uh, to be faithful in new ways, but he's not going to force us. Um, and he'll, he'll accept our decision. And so for the Israelites, God accepted their decision, and it resulted in another 40 years of desert wandering, but God didn't forget about them, right? Eventually, they crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they passed that test of water. And so the last uh, test that we're, we're talking about is, is temptations. Um, and one thing I want to make really clear, um, so, so if you want to think about it simply, like tests of fire is about surviving, and holding on to God, tests of water is about taking something that God wants us to have, going somewhere that God wants us to go, uh, doing something that God wants us to do. Uh, tests of temptation are uh, resisting the urge to do things that we know we ought not do. Uh, just, you know, it's kind of simple, simple like that. And, and Luke 3 uh, tells the story of Jesus, his temptations. Uh, he faces three temptations in the middle of the desert that echo the kinds of temptations we as human beings face every single day of our lives. Uh, not only do they echo us today, they also echo uh, temptations that God's people failed uh, to resist in the past. And so that's, that's what we're looking at. Um, little background, Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River, you know, that same river that God's people crossed into the promised land from. Uh, and He's, it says immediately after that, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through, through 13, it says, Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Um, so, so this story, uh, this uh, passage of something that happened to Jesus right after he was baptized, the very first thing that he had to reckon with is that there is a force for evil in our world that wants to draw us away from what God has for us. Um, and so he's, he's tempted by, by the devil, by the evil one. And we're just going to walk through this story. And I think, uh, for me, when I hear this, and it's, I'm sure, familiar scripture for many of you, um, I find myself just all over the place in this in the worst way. <laughs> um, so we're going we're gonna to do that together. Uh, so let me, let me pray really quick for us, and then, and then we'll, we'll start digging in. God, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to what you would have to say to us today. Help us to see um, ourselves in the mirror of Scripture, honestly and humbly, to hear your voice and to respond uh, to your call faithfully. In your name, amen. Amen. So, so here's Jesus. He's in the desert. He's been fasting for 40 days. He hasn't had anything to eat. And so the, the devil approaches him in the desert. Now, this desert, right, it's the same place where Israel wandered for 40 years. You know, he's in the Jordan River getting baptized, and instead of going back into Israel, he goes out into the desert. And so the devil uh, says to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread, right? Jesus is hungry. Uh, in the wilderness, right? He's hungry, rightly so. Uh, his human body needs to eat. You know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is not, um, he's not tricking us in trying to look human. Now, we believe that Jesus was actually fully 100% human, 
and fully God at the same time. It's a difficult tension to understand, to hold together, but, but that means that we believe that Jesus had hunger, he had thirst, and he, and he suffered from temptation. He suffered from that same thing that's in us that encourages us, whether it's our own sinful nature or it's the forces of spiritual evil, to do things that we know deep down are not the right and best things for us. So, so here's Jesus in the desert. He's hungry. Uh, his body needs to eat. Food is good, right? It's necessary for life. Um, so the, the devil tempts Jesus to meet his real physical need uh, by his own power, right? He's God and human. Jesus can do this. You know, hunger, hunger is not a sin. And it's really important um, when we talk about temptation to recognize that it's not a sin, it's not wrong to be tempted to do the wrong thing, right? Even Jesus himself was tempted, but he didn't sin. And, and hunger in itself, there, there's nothing wrong with um, feeling hungry. There's nothing wrong with eating when you're hungry to satisfy uh, your need, right? Uh, but this temptation uh, is, is placed here in such a way, it highlights this important thing about evil in the Bible and, and about human, human nature, um, the devil is tempting Jesus to use or to abuse his own God-given power to satisfy uh, his own needs. And, and this might not seem like much of a temptation to you. It doesn't always seem like much of a temptation to me. Um, and I think the reason for this is, and it doesn't seem so bad for him to just eat, right? <laughs> but I think the reason why it doesn't read that way for me, at least, is is I grew up, and many of you, I believe, live in the same culture. We swim in the same water. Um, we grew up in a culture that has trained us um, very specifically. Um, uh, and it's trained us to do this in a really thoughtless way, to where responding to this kind of temptation is as natural as breathing. It's just a part of, it's a part of life. Our, our culture has taught us that if we have a need or a desire for something— the correct response to that desire is, is what? If you want something, what does our culture tell us you should do? Somebody loud so I can hear you. Get it! Yeah! If you want something, get it. If you're hungry, eat! If, if you're itching, <laughs> you, you scratch it, right? Unless it's chicken pox. Um, and, and I think as um, people in our, in our modern world, in the world that we live in today, and especially as Americans, we have this belief that if we have a need, a desire for anything in the world, the only proper response is to immediately meet that desire or need as quickly as possible. Itches are meant to be scratched. That's a, a story, I think, that many of us unconsciously have been bathed in most of our lives, you know. And many of us, myself included, are extremely suspicious of anything or anyone that tries to put a boundary between our desires and wants and feelings and, uh, and filling those desires, wants, and feelings. Anything that puts a boundary between our hunger and our consumption, right? How dare you tell me what I can and can't eat, uh, everything in, in our world today, you know, and there's a lot of good here, but I think it shows up, right? Everything today is, is, at, our, is at our fingertips, isn't it? Uh, there is no physical need or desire that you might have that you can't get within like one or two days shipping, you know? Whether it's a, a couch or a bigger TV or fast food or, um, <laughs> or you know, frankly, um, things like pornography or other desires that we might 
want to fill. Uh, we've created a world where every itch has a scratch that's just a, a second away, and most of us, myself included, get angry if the thing that we want doesn't immediately come our way. I've noticed this with Foster is almost at the age where I'm not allowed to talk about him in church anymore. <laughs> um, but I've noticed this, that if he's watching a show, and, you know, we don't have the, the greatest internet out here in the country, and so if, if heaven forbid, somebody else gets on the internet, um, the little, like, loading thing, the little circle comes up, and the show stops, and, and he looks at us and says, Dad, what did you do? Right? Uh, it's instant. And, and I don't blame him, right? I have that same feeling. If I'm watching a show and it, and it cuts off for a second, or the other day I was watching something and Axel um, turned, off, <laughs> turned off the Xbox. I couldn't see it anymore. And I was like, Axel! You know, anything that gets in the way of that. You know, when we're hungry or have a need, uh, the devil tells us um, that we ought we to always fill it. You know, the evil one convinces us that anything we want in any moment, uh, it, it's wrong to deny ourselves that. It's backwards, it's un-American, it's a violation of our freedom to consume. If somebody says no to us, or if, Lord forbid, we say no to ourselves. Place the order, uh, uh, Google the keyword, um, pack the bar, scratch the itch, or, or swipe right. Whatever our need is, we ought to fill it now and not wait a second longer, and I found in my uh, experience, if it, it doesn't matter for most of us if it's destructive. It doesn't matter if it hurts people. It doesn't matter if it makes things worse. Itches must be scratched. If you want it, get it. And anyone that stands between me and that is suspect at best. But Jesus, as he stands in the desert, hungry, with a real physical need and all the means to meet that need, he knows, Jesus knows that there's more to life than filling our cravings. There's more to life than meeting our needs, even our good needs. There's more to life than not being hungry anymore. So he refuses to abuse his power to fill up his belly. And what Jesus does instead is he turns to God. And he answers the evil one in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So the devil tries a different tack. Uh, if cravings aren't going to work with you, Jesus, um, maybe power, maybe victory, maybe doing the most possible good is more to your liking. So the devil does again what he does best. Um, you know, and I, and I believe this through the Bible teaches, um, not that there's an equal force of good and an equal force of evil. No, the Bible teaches that God created the world, good created the world and made everything. And the evil one can, all he can do is twist God's gifts and use them to hurt us like a like judo, if you know judo, you know, they don't, they don't hit you, they like trick you into falling with your punch. The devil does that, he does judo, he tries a different track. Uh, and so he again does what he does best. He can't make anything good, but he can twist what he's stolen. So he says this in verse 5, uh, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and all their splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Uh, if you worship me, all of this will be yours. All the authority of the whole, the whole world. Jesus said, or uh, the devil says, uh, Jesus, I know that you care about the world. I know you want to be king of the world. Later on, Jesus will be called king. I know you want to bring God's kingdom to this world. So why don't I give you the power now? Why don't I give you authority now? You can save the world, Jesus. Rule over the Romans and every other human kingdom. Only worship me. The authority is mine to give, the devil says. 
Think about the good you could do. The ends justify the means. And this is another classic sticky temptation throughout Scripture. It's the temptation to accomplish something good by doing something evil. It's the same temptation on page three of your Bible when Eve uh, takes the fruit she knows she's not supposed to take and eats it because she thinks the good of knowledge is more important than the evil of doing what she ought not do. It's the same thing that shows up in the Old Testament when Israel's kings do this a lot. Israel's kings are trying to consolidate political power, and so they'll um, incorporate the worship of other gods into the worship of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Because the thought is, if you make more people happy, you bring more gods in, it helps you, you be stronger. It's the same thing that Israel's kings do. And, and this kind of sin, this kind of idea that we can do good by colluding and teaming up with evil and it's worth it, the ends justify the means, um, this evil, it sits at the root of the greatest sins of human history, doesn't it? Uh, everyone that's done the worst things between things like genocide or slavery or torture, things like the Holocaust, these are moments where someone said, I can do good if I do a little evil first. It shows up in my life uh, every time, uh, and, and in your life too, every time we, we cheat or lie or steal or abuse others in small ways uh, because we think it just makes things a little bit better. We see it every time, and John talked about this a little bit, we see it every time uh, we put all our hope in a politician to save the world. We see it when we tolerate um, people from our team doing wrong things and the excuse that the ends justify the means. It's apparent in policies that ignore, imprison, or end human lives when those human lives are inconvenient to us. The ends justify the means. The devil says, first win, and then we can do what's right. But Jesus knows that God is in control of the world. Uh, Jesus knows that God controls the ends, and to try and get good by teaming up with evil always ends badly, no matter how well-intentioned it may be. Jesus refuses to become a slave to evil in order to do good. Instead, he turns to God. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It doesn't matter how it turns out. Follow God. So the devil says, all right, fine. If I can't sway you with hunger, I can't tempt you um, with power, perhaps I can twist your faith in God. And so the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then the devil quotes scripture at Jesus. He says, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil says, Jesus, if you really trust God, you shouldn't be afraid of a little fall. The Bible says God will catch you, right? Uh, so, so prove it, Jesus. Do you trust God? Then, then jump. Imagine how the people in the temple courts, if Jesus had jumped, would have seen this happen, right? Jesus jumps from the top of the temple, this high building. Everybody's there watching, and this man is falling 
from the sky and, and miraculously, right, God's angels swoop in and catch him, set him down gently. Imagine uh, what people would have said and thought about Jesus. Imagine how people would have believed in him if they had seen such a miracle. Then, uh, and even for Jesus, he could really know, right? Okay, I remember God caught me when I jumped off the temple. I can really trust God. Uh, if you remember, this temptation shows up a lot in the Old Testament, and, and it shows up actually connected with the story we told last week. Now, I, I didn't mention this, but if you remember last week, right, the first generation of Israelites that, that sat on the border of the Promised Land and refused to go in, and God let them hold on to their choice, um, I didn't read this last week, but immediately after that story, when Moses tells them that they're going to sit in the desert for 40 years now, uh, they panic. They say, no, 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 that's not what we want. That's not what we want. We want to go into the promised land. And so even though um, Moses says, no, don't do this. God really doesn't want you to do this now. He's already said no. Um, they panic. And so they, they raise up an army and they say, we're going to go in anyway. And, and you can imagine they're figuring, right, God chose us. We're God's chosen people, they figured, so they put themselves in danger. They said God wouldn't let something happen to his chosen people. God had said no, but, but he, he, you know, he wasn't asking them to go into the land, but, but they, um, they did the opposite. And it's just kind of like, if you ever heard that, the old joke about the guy who's waiting for God to save him in the middle of the flood, Right? The waters are rising up, and the guy's standing in his house, and, and you know, the waters get to the first floor, and he's getting kind of worried, and, and somebody, and he's praying, God, come save me, God, come save me, and a guy comes by in a boat, and the man says, no, I, I don't need your help, I'm trusting God to save me, all right? And he gets all the way up to the top of the, the house, and eventually he, uh, you know, a helicopter comes by, and it's like, hey, uh, come, get in this helicopter, can I help you? And, and the guy says, no, I have faith, God will save me. Eventually the water gets up to his head and one more person comes by in a boat and is like, hey, grab my hand. Let me save your life. And he says, no, God will save me. And the man uh, in the joke in the story drowns. And when he goes to heaven, he says, God, why didn't you save me? And God says, right, I sent two helicopters in a boat. <laughs> it's that story, right? The Israelites, they're saying God will save us. They tried to use God's love for them to manipulate God. And so they run in, into the promised land and many of them are killed in battle and they wind up retreating, defeated. Uh, the devil gives Jesus that it's the same test. It's the same test that Israel failed, right? It's the same opportunity to force God's hand, to toss yourself from the ledge and have faith that God will save you, to refuse to give in uh, to fear and have faith instead. And, and we try and do this too. The devil does this to us, too. Um, we try to do things for God that God never asked us to do. We neglect our, our health. We neglect our finances. We make bad choices, and we say, okay, God will take care of me. If God really loved me, he'll make sure I don't die when I don't wear my seatbelt, right? We make thoughtless decisions and say, oh, well, God will pick up the slack. If I go, God won't let me fall. We, we treat faith and and I have done this in my life, right? We treat faith like it's a hostage situation. <laughs> like, you know, God, you won't let me do it. <laughs> we put our lives, ourselves, our loved ones at risk, and we expect God to run in and save the day. 
We run into traffic to find our own comfort, uh, our own desires to achieve our own dreams, pursue our own goals, and we count on God to let, uh, make sure we don't get hit by a car. When presented uh, with this temptation, Jesus refuses to use God's love for him as a way to manipulate God. Instead of, for, instead of forcing God to be faithful to him, Jesus turns to follow God where he's leading, and he answers, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Um, as I mentioned before, right, the, and you see this in these temptations, the devil, the evil one, our sinful nature, uh, it can't make anything. It can't really offer us anything good. It can only twist God's blessings and use them against us. It can take things like food and sexual intimacy and our, and our brain's chemical makeup and corrupt and twist them so they destroy us. The evil one uh, can't give us anything, but he can take uh, the power to achieve and our desire to achieve high-minded ideals, values, important ends, and he can use those goals and twist them to make us into his slaves, and we never get what we think our compromise will give us. He can even take our faith in God's promises and our desire to trust God, his love and his care, and he can manipulate us into using our lives to hold God hostage. You know, for a long time growing up, um, this is me uh, as a youth group kid, right? I remember thinking that resisting temptation is all about being strong, right? About pushing back, like, oh, I want that piece of cake, but I'm going to stand here and look at it, and I'm not going to eat it, right? Um, I thought it was about having a strong character, um, being uh, someone that's morally good, and if you're just good enough, you never had to deal with temptation. I thought that if I um, was a better Christian or a better person or a stronger person, I could be strong enough to resist it. Or, or beyond that, I thought if I was really close to God, I'd never be tempted at all, uh, right? But the truth is that temptation to sin, that test, uh, is, is a part of human life. And it's usually not defeated with uh, immense moral strength and goodness. It's not usually beaten by just grit, because if you look at Jesus, who passes these tests of temptation, you can see it's less about resistance and strength and self-denial and more about where we turn when we face temptation. So when you are tempted this year, this week, this month, uh, to fill your belly with rocks, to meet your desires with whatever is at hand, I invite you to turn towards the God who has what you're hungry for. When you're tempted to become a slave of evil to accomplish something important, I want to invite you to turn towards and remember the God who holds history in his hands. And when you're tempted to test God's faithfulness for your own glory or comfort or fame, instead turn towards the God who offers us real steps of faith and real calls to love people in the places that we go. And finally, when... When you fail the test, because you will fail the test, you will at times give in to temptation, you will make mistakes, you will hurt others and do wrong. When you do, 
Don't do what the Pharisees did. Don't do what all of us so often want to do and, and turn to denial and justification and explaining why, yeah, it probably seemed bad that I did that, but it's okay for this reason. Uh, instead of that, um, do, uh, do this. Turn to repentance, to mourning, and ask God for forgiveness. When your brother or sister fails the test and your brother or sister will fail the test, don't look the other way. Don't pretend you didn't see it. Don't say, oh, it's okay. It's not a big, a big deal or whatever. But instead, mourn with them. Repent next to them. Forgive them and help them get back on the path. Because Jesus, he passed the test when we couldn't. He passed the test when Israel failed all those times. He passes the test for our sake when we fail. And he actually offers us a way out of these destructive patterns that we participate in that have defined human behavior all the way since page three of the Bible. All we have to do is admit our need, or uh, the Bible way of saying it, confess our sin, put our faith in Jesus who passed the test on our behalf, and invite him to make us new. So would you pray with me? Lord God, as we uh, sit here coming up to Thanksgiving, we're aware of how many things we have to be grateful of. And we're also aware, Lord, of the ways that we've failed, the ways that we've fallen short, the ways that we've filled our bellies with rocks. And so this morning we confess our sin and our great need for you. We admit that we do not have what it takes to pass these tests that the evil one puts in front of us. That where you stood and showed the way, we so often fail. So we confess our sin. We admit the things that we've done, Lord, that we ought not have done. Hear us in our hearts as we, as we do that, Lord. But we believe that despite what we've done, and how we failed, that you passed on our behalf. And so we put our faith in you who came to earth and flesh, who faced tests of all kinds, even up to your own death on a cross, and who walked out of the tomb on the other side, raised. We put our faith in you, and we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be contained uh, in that sacrifice, to be forgiven in our debts paid by it, and to be partakers in the resurrection to come. And finally, Lord, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, make us new. Turn us into a new kind of people who can see uh, and who can be different, with different hearts. Make us new, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite our singers to come up. Let's sing our final song together. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.